Hello and welcome to the Win Win Effect podcast with your host, Chris Ross. This is the show for anyone that wants to drive productivity and maximize potential in any industry. Let's take a moment. Have you ever wondered about the psychology behind the persuasive marketing driving you to take action, sometimes on products you never thought people would buy? Well, that's just what makes this podcast stand out from the others. On these episodes, Chris will break down proven strategies that his companies use to respectably enroll prospective students into the correct programs to achieve overall business success and fulfillment in life. You will get a rare centralized look into both sides of the buyer-seller relationships that I'm sure anyone tuning in will receive massive value from to implement instantly. There are huge quantities of informational material from companies just trying to sell products, but not many giving you the right information on how to build companies from solid foundations, focusing on customers actually winning as the outcome. The Win-Win Effect podcast is a character-based code for human interaction and collaboration in business. Time is the only non-renewable resource in life. So with this podcast, the outcome is designed to bring you value to make it worth your time. When it comes to closing deals, having a great discovery call isn't always enough to qualify the right type of buyer you're looking for. Effectively following up with prospects after a sales meeting is critical and failing to do so can cause once promising deal to go cold. And in this case, after a discovery call, a once promising qualified buyer becomes uninterested. Last week on the win-win effect, I took some time to drive home how to execute seamless transitions. Remember, to be able to be more refined with your sales process, you need to execute the individual steps of the sale with more confidence. Regardless of when this transition needs to take place or for what reason, there is a simple way to go about asking the prospective buyer to take this next step with you because you are the expert and you are there to help them. Here's the problem that some salespeople are not aware of. Within 24 hours, most buyers forget 75 to 80% of what the seller tells them or communicates to them in their meetings. Brings me to a really important question to ask yourself. Now, when do you think a prospect memory is nearly at 100%? If you're thinking right at the end of your conversation, absolutely. Think about this. Do they remember why it's imperative that they take their situation seriously enough to work with you on a potential solution? Did you provide enough clarity about their goals and the key activities to focus on now? Back in episode eight, I talked about anchoring and framing, correct? If you recall, the key ingredients for focus are three components, clarity, will, and ability. If you provided enough clarity about their goals and the key activities to focus on now, you will expose the internal reasons, the will, to get themselves out of their comfort zone to get the work done. This is where you as a salesperson can shine because you have the ability and the skill set to educate each buyer to have the discipline to stay on schedule and trusting the process. Touch points after each call have to happen right after your meeting. Obviously, I said that with a little bit of authority. 
because this is where you can separate yourself from every other salesperson they ever had an opportunity to speak with. Positioning is key here. One of the things I teach companies, teams, or salespeople is taking the time to type up your notes you gathered on the call, write down the pain and pleasure points you discovered during your call, share them with your team members or assistant, or put them into the CRM, whatever your protocol is as a salesperson, so they can write up the right follow-up email right after your meeting. If you do not have a team or you do not have an assistant, this is where you can shine as well, and it shows the individual or the prospective buyer you're trying to work with that you are listening. It will also increase the prospect's interest in your product and start to identify how they can tie in your potential solution to their current situation. It's only going to increase your value with the prospect because they're starting to see you as the expert is going to lead them in the right direction. Please understand the lack of follow-up after your initial meeting with your prospective buyer perhaps will create more uncertainty with the prospective buyer. Some get caught up in their own emotions. Interests can drain down. And your number one enemy comes into play, procrastination. Your prospects begins to feel that the buying decision can wait. This is where I see most salespeople have very lengthy sales processes and watered down conversion rates. How many of you out there, right now, let's be honest, think you're losing a lot of prospective buyers to competitors? You're actually losing them to the status quo. Give me a chance to explain. I will tell you this. Buyers don't want to be sold to, but they love to be presented with an opportunity that will be the answer to their problems. In today's episode, I invited sales trainer colleague Wes Bays back on to share with everyone listening the ingredients for a powerful follow-up. Get your pen and piece of paper ready. Let's dive right in. Happy Monday, Monday, everybody, and welcome back, Wes. How was your Thanksgiving Day weekend, man? I was, uh, it was really great, really full. How about you? Uh, it was good. It was good. It was my fourth year in England, and it's the first year that I didn't have a turkey for Thanksgiving, unfortunately. <laughs> I'm excited about having this conversation with you, and I think it's fitting considering this time of year is where a lot of, see a lot of, I wouldn't say really inexperienced salespeople, a lot of salespeople or companies see their pipeline start to depreciate because of where they see warm leads turning cold more often. What do you think about that? You know, the way I look at it is it depends on the size of the business because I, you know, like a smaller businesses usually, you know, they, they will, they will get aggressive during this time of year, right? Because they have a lot to gain <laughs> where you see a lot bigger businesses, they'll slow down. Now, my philosophy has been since the beginning is that I double down on marketing in, in this time of year. Right, any kind of lead generation, anything is I'm doubling down because I can take advantage of everyone else that's resting. Um, you right. know, and and, the, it, and how you set up your the expectations, right, is is what it comes down to. Because you know, when you have a system in place to where it's consistent throughout, it doesn't matter what day or time or night, you know, what what time of year, it doesn't matter what it is. You have a certain system, and that's just how you function. Then you're not going to fall into that trap of, you know what, you know, people, it's a holiday. People aren't going to be interested. No, people need what you have, right? So they're going to need it all year round. doesn't matter if they're, if it's Christmas or if it's Thanksgiving or whatever it is, because honestly, this is a time of year where for me, my people need my product more than any other time of year, right? Because mm -hmm. this is, this is, this is sales time, right? People are buying right now. Right. 
then they have the money to spend. I don't care what they say to you. It depends on how you position yourself or you create the urgency with the prospective buyer. You'll end up setting yourself up for a great year. I like to try to hit the ground running in January. I don't like, okay, I need to start moving and all the gears to start moving. It takes time. Right. So I try to warm up my pipeline even more so in November and December because I don't want to have to play catch up in January. I want to hit the ground running. And usually, I mean, this is another discussion where you're talking about follow-up, but I try to put myself in a situation where I have enrollment cycles. And I don't care. You can call it whatever you want to call it. But the first week of that month are not sales that I counted for that month. I counted for last month. Those are carrying over in your sales process. So this goes back to and furthers our conversation about aligning that sales process into the stages and how can you maximize on every opportunity. Here's what a lot of entrepreneurs or a lot of people say to me or inexperienced salespeople. Talk to me about your follow-up process. And I'll go, I don't have really have a lot of time to follow up. What do you mean you don't have time to follow up? Well, I don't want to be annoying. I hate chasing people. I feel pushy. <laughs> well, that doesn't really help at all. And you've listened to the how I framed today's conversation. You're looking at things in a bird's eye view. So if you're looking at your pipeline, you'll start seeing it slowing down on certain areas because you're doing certain things and your focus is off. And my focus needs to be on how can I create the environment for each prospective buyer to know that they are certain in my ability that I can help them. Right. Absolutely. Follow-up is key. That's the main point at this point. Right. So walk me through some of your follow-up techniques that you utilize. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing is a follow-up is all about system, right? It's about what system do you have in place that you can be consistent in, right? So and this is when people when people are saying I don't have time for follow up. One, you're pretty much saying I don't have time to make money. But two, you're also saying that you know you can't see past what the objection that you're putting in front of yourself, right? Because that is an objection. And so one thing I learned early on, and I'm I'm I will admit this. I'll be the first one to admit this is that I I sucked at follow up. That mm. was that was a horrible, horrible thing. Why? Because I didn't want to put the effort in. At the end of the day, it comes back to effort. But then I learned that, okay, if I don't like doing it uh, and I'm always focused on, you know, who else can I bring through the pipeline that's interested right away? How can I combat this? Because I know I know that 80% of my sales are going to actually happen through that follow-up process. So Agreed. I, decided, I started developing systems, right? That was because that's what I know how to do. And so I started developing systems and I was like, how can I put people in place or automation in place to make this happen. And so through a combination of both, that's how I always made up my follow-up process to make sure that it's getting done. But it's, but not just getting done, it's getting done effectively to the way that I would want it done. And so I lay out the structure of what the follow-up process needs to look like. I'll put templates in place, things along those lines, and then I delegate out the rest of it. Now, what's important is that it's not just follow up for the people who, and I know we we're talking about this earlier today. Was it's not it's not just important to do follow up for the people that are you know have showed buying signs or interested. You have to have follow up for those who are just coming through your pipeline as well. Mm -hmm. right? And so, what does that process look like? So, if you want to make follow up easy for yourself, create a system that allows you to be consistent. And if you're the one that can't be consistent in your follow up, put thing measures in place, whether it's people or systems. That's going to allow you to do that. So, it for me, it's uh, it's numbers, right? So, if you're gonna if the normal salesperson follows up eight times, 
you know, I I have to follow up 16, right? Because I need to be I need to be better than that next person, right? And I need to be better than even I was yesterday, right? So I need to always do a lot more for the customer than other people are doing. And so the more that I follow, I gotten so many sales or some people telling me that I'm persistent. Mm-hmm. But Wes, because you're so persistent, you know, I want to do this with you. And I'm like, I'm not even the one that was following up with you, right? My assistant was, you know, it just looks like it's coming from me, right? So it, again, make a system for yourself that's going to work for you. And the objective is that follow-up needs to get done. That's that's what you had. That's the goal. Just make it happen. However, it's going to be best fit for you. Mm-hmm. I had an assistant before I had an assistant. What does that mean, do you think? You were your own assistant. <laughs> You're damn right. But I was positioned. <laughs> I was positioned in a way where they didn't know that it was me communicating with them every day because it was coming from an info email or, you know, how I was positioning it. Is it? It wasn't that I was being unethical with them. It was that I was creating a system for follow up. I wanted them to hear from me every day. That got me to a buying decision. How can I do that to maximize my time? Easy templates, but I customize those templates to make it personable for them before they say yes. And and I want everyone to write this down. This is really important. Before anyone says yes to the offer that you propose to them, and this is why we're going over this now, they're going to require two things: information and trust. Those are the two biggest things that people look for. So how can you provide more information and more trust with you? rather than a product or service. Touch points. So yet 80% of people fall off your pipeline because there's lack of follow-up. And that causes a warm connection to turn cold because they're not who you're saying you are, right? I see a lot of salespeople go, I was great on that call, but when was the last time you heard from them? Three days. What kind of system do you have in place to touch, you know, touch base with them? Check on your, do temp checks. Well, I mean, I, I signed the, the system. Well, I signed the assignments and they show up to the call. So how do you know if they're going to show up their appointments? This is where you start seeing a no-show rate. No call, no show. My no-show ratio is around like 3%. Other people in the company, you're looking at around like 40% no-shows. That's missed opportunity and waste of time. Time is what? Money. Damn right. Time is money. How can I make more use of my time to make more money? Delegate. Simple. Creating a system. Right. Delegate. I delegate everything that I do. Like like you, I hated follow-up because I sucked at it. I'm not good at sending emails. I'm not good at sending all these things. That puts a more effort into it. But how can I delegate that into with an assistant? Simple. Taking the time right after a meeting while they're fresh in my mind, and I'm gonna write down some bullet points on what I would like to discuss before our next meeting. I've already established that with them. And a lot of, I see a lot of salespeople get a hang up and go move on to the next call and maybe have two or three calls and don't write down their notes until, you know, maybe an hour later. Do you have much information they're forgetting? Tons. Tons. It's not fresh in their mind. Same thing for the prospective buyer. The only way for you to understand this completely is understanding what the buyer is going through. They don't want to have to get on a call or the next meeting with you and repeat themselves. Oh my God, you just shot yourself in the foot. That sale's over with. I don't give a shit how great you were on that first call. Do you agree? Oh, I would. I mean, that's that's why system is key. Right? Because how you conduct your calls, like for example, if, you, like if you're going to delegate follow-up, you also have to have a system for how you structure your calls and how you take notes of that call. Mm. 
right? So you see a lot of people that are just random, right? They'll just take they'll just take a call, whatever. They don't even document it, or they'll just put some vague bullshit about what happened during that call. Well, now you have just taken the ammunition completely away from your follow-up, mm-hmm. right? So when you're on a call, you document everything that happened on a call, or maybe your assistant is on the line and can document for you, whatever it is. They document for you and they document specific points that are follow-up points of that call, right? So whether it's about a person's need, wants, desires, whatever it is. So any lag time between your last call and your next call is an opportunity for them to walk away. Hmm. And you have, you have to remember that. So you have to sell every day about why they're going to get back on the phone with you. So that means I'm going to take the things that matter to you. So if I'm a good salesperson, I'm going to document well so that now if I have templates, my assistant can go into my notes of that client, grab the things that matter about that client, plug them into the template that sells the client on why they need to show up to the next call and what they need to have prepared because I'm going to create a journey for the client. So that journey is, hey, instead of you thinking about why you're going to walk away, you're going to think about the things that you have to do between now and the next time that we talk right. so that now it's an expectation that you're showing up on the call, not a, a potential option or decision that you have to make. Right. Winging it is not a system. I see a lot of salespeople wing it and they go to wing a system. They don't really know the follow-up processes they need to have in place to help a buyer understand what they just shared with you was important. Your follow-up also does a couple of different things where with a buyer goes, okay, he was really listening to me or she was really listening to what I share with them or they wouldn't have sent me this email. Another thing, key thing to do and kind of start identifying this and how to develop that system or automate that process is asking your buyers or prospective buyers in that situation, how would you like me to follow up with you? That question's important. Wes, how would you like me to follow up with you in the next few days? What will be important for you? What will be impactful for you? How important is it to ask that question, do you think, Wes? It's extremely important because that you're going to play to that person's wants right, or needs or what they're looking for. Mm-hmm. And now they're going to be much more receptive because now they gave you the permission. Everything's ownership. Everything. Everything you do is ownership. First, you have to identify the problem. And if they've already shared with you during that meeting some pain and pleasure points and you go to follow up with them just like every other Joe Smith, then they're not going to really respond to that. I want them to be receptive of the information I'm going to share with them. Goes back to one of my previous comments. I'm not sure if it was on an episode or not of the podcast, but I try to prep myself before every meeting. And for me to sit down and go through my notes right after that meeting where my mind's more impressionable for it. I'm looking for a solution to their problems that they share with me. Am I trying to solve their problem right now or situation? No. I'm going to come up with some ideas on my own on how I can actually best serve them the next time that I speak to them right that second. So when I go to have my next meeting with them, all the information depends. I don't care if you're a business consultant and you're trying to sell them a program and they're going through videos or training modules or whatever it is, or I don't give a shit if you're doing real estate, if you're doing trade schools or whatever that is, I'm, before our next meeting, here's the things that you need to have done. Right. That's the expectation. Here's my set expectations. Here's what I'm expecting for you to have done because 15 minutes before my next meeting with you, I'm going to expect you to be available and ready for me to give you a call. You don't call me, I call you. That's a big. That's important for positioning. And I'm going to give you a call when I'm ready during that time because I'm looking over your notes and how am I going to be able to come up with the right plan 
to teach you or educate you or show you the right way to handle your situation. That's so important. And once you share that with your prospective buyers on how you like to work with them, you're training them on what is important for them to be able to develop the right plan for success. You're teaching them to be successful because you are successful. Right. No, absolutely. And that's that's why it all goes back to your system within your sales process has to be customized to what it is that you do or what you offer. Right. There's there's key components, right, of each that you know of of, of a follow up process that's consistent through each type of industry or anything that you sell. But there are certain things like I'm, I'm, I want to give this example today because I think it's fitting. Um, and this is just something that happened to me in the last week. Um, and, and it just goes back to why follow-up is key in all areas and setting the right expectations is important. Um, so if it's all right with you, Chris, I'd like to just kind of give that kind of a quick, you know, story. So please, I was, um, you know, I was on a call with uh, a young lady that she's, uh, you know, she works for a lead generation company and, uh, you know, it was something that I was looking to uh, potentially bring on, you know, to, to generate leads for, you know, one of our businesses. And as I'm talking to her, you know, she had this, this, I'm going to tell you from right now, she had great follow-up, but here's where she made a mistake. And I want to make this point so that people can potentially maybe look at it from their own sales process or something that they've done. You know, the service that they offer is not, you know, it's not an inexpensive service, right? It's a good, it's a good size investment. It's about $20,000 a month. So imagine that as a retainer, $20,000 a month for them to, to just work with you. Right. And so, when you have something that that's that high ticket, for example, here's here's where she went wrong. She talked me through the whole thing, and the twenty grand is not the is not the reason why I haven't went with them yet. But I'm going to tell the story anyway from what usually would happen. So she went through the whole her whole sales process. She did a phenomenal job. Did discovery. Did all of that. But this was call number one. And what she did was at the end, she pitched me. I'm going to say that word again. She pitched me the twenty grand. <laughs> and then after that, she asked me if that is an issue for me. First of all, a horrible thing to do right there. Um, you know, because because Ugh. one, you're potentially going to offend somebody. And two, if it wasn't an issue, now they're going to start looking at it as if it's an issue. Right. But take that besides the point. So she does. She she offers me that 20 grand. Now I'm like, OK, that I wasn't really thinking about the 20 grand at the time. Actually, I was starting to I was starting to look at because of the way that I think I started to look at where she went wrong in her sales process. That's all I started thinking about at that point. Mm-hmm. But. What happened then, as soon as we hung up, she went through and she started texting me, right, or and emailing me uh, through that follow-up. So she started following up with me that same day. Now, same day follow-up is great and you need to do it. But when you've pitched when you've pitched 20 grand to me, now it just sounds like desperation, right? Now, to me, it just sounds like yep. it's, you're, you, you're trying to get that sale so bad and everything you're doing is almost to try to manipulate me into thinking that you care, right? And so... I'm making that point for a reason, and that's you have to evaluate your sales process and have a follow-up in place that is going to match the expectation of the client and not trigger them in certain ways, right? And so and right. so you have to be careful. So in that scenario, what would I have done differently if I was her? First of all, I wouldn't pitch 20 grand and hope for, for the best. I would break down that client all the way through and through and get and even go through a budgeting process and everything else. And figure out how they're going to do it before I pitch them twenty grand, right? Because a twenty grand is just an assumption based off of the budget, right? You know that's number one. But two, had I say I had made the mistake and done what she had done, I wouldn't have followed up the same day. 
I would have set the next call. Okay. And then I would have, I would have made it a point to say, Hey, by our next call, can you please go through this process for me? And that process for me would be that person breaking down exactly what their needs are for their company, what, who their ideal buyers are, you know, all these different things that tests that I have to do to get ready for the next call. And that's how she fo- Then she followed up with me about that to see if I'm getting that done correctly, if I need any help versus the 20 grand that she just offered me. So I hope that everybody got you know the, the point out of that whole story, but be thorough all the way through and make sure you're not spiking anything for a client you know, in your sales process and through your follow-up. Money is never the issue. And I appreciate you going through it. I want all the listeners to understand this. It's never the money, but it's always the money if you don't lay the right foundation of what you can do for that prospective buyer. I don't care if it's a company or whatnot. In that type of situation, when she mentioned 20K, this is our retainer. If I was a salesperson in her company, what I would have done is say, here's the reasons why you need us. Based on my discovery with you right now, Wes, here's what we can do for you. Here's how I can make an impact with your organization or company instantly. Then go through that process. 20K or 40K, or it could be 100K. I'll be, me as an entrepreneur, I'll spend 40K to make 20. Right. See what I'm saying? It doesn't really matter because I'm looking at the residual because you have startup fees or whatever it costs. Automation is important. You don't want to appear like as a canned message. It needs to have a personal touch to that. You can have a couple, you can break out your follow up in a couple days until you meet with that person or send a little nice little message. Hey, you were on my mind and something popped in my head after our call and I wanted to send you this quick email. But you don't need to do it. You can delegate it and send it to your team. Qualifying leads and making contact and setting meetings or you want to convert at a high level, you're doing it by personal touch. Not, don't overcomplicate this. Include call to actions in every follow-up system. There's got to be a follow-up process, but there's call, there's call to actions in every piece. Doesn't mean they're going to buy, but you're setting them up to buy. And you're setting them up in a way where they feel like they can't wait to buy. Here's the pain and pleasure points from our conversation. Here's what I heard you say. Wes, if you're trying to... What was the package? 20K and they'll do what? Uh, they exactly. Generate leads for me off of uh, LinkedIn. Do you know what it would feel like to have a steady lead flow coming through that is 40% or 50% or 70% higher than what you're typically used to experiencing? What the, what would that do for your company? These are the things to touch on. I It doesn't matter if I'm selling to an individual or I'm selling to a major corporation. I sell the same way. It just nothing changes. I have a personal touch point and I'm going to ask them, how would you like me to follow up with you? How much simpler can I make it for people? Do you think? Oh, I mean, that's, that, that is the simplest way of doing it. Right. And it's the most effective way of doing it too. Right. And that's why it's important. I mean, here's, here's the way you look at it is there's positioning involved here as well. I mean, the follow-up that comes for their specific pain, pleasure, needs, anything else has to come from you. It has to at least look like it's coming from you, right? Uh, because because that's the personal part of it. But then there's also positioning for yourself as well. And that's where potentially an assistant come in. And that, that follow-up comes from the assistant saying, hey, this is what Chris is looking for, right? So you have to look at both of those things and you have to, you have to play with them both well, right? And based off of how the client likes to be followed up, that's a huge point. Right. So you take that, you insert what, the, how that client likes to be followed up through your normal, you know, through your follow up process. Right. And then you go about it 
you know, that way. It's really not that difficult. People just overcomplicate it because when they hear the word follow up, they cringe. How would you like me to communicate with you in the next couple of days leading to our meeting? See what I'm saying? You can reframe anything you want to say, but I'm going to ask a question, not make a statement. I'm going to follow up with you in the next few days this way. Why well, don't it be followed up that way? Well, how much time could you have saved? Right. I'm never. I'm not going to be by my email. I'm not going to be by my computer. I'm not going to be by my phone. Who's not by their phone, really? How would you like me to communicate with you in the next couple of days leading up to our next conversation? Your success relies on your follow-up. Don't say no to 98% of the people who aren't ready to say yes after the first conversation. Remember, 80% of sales require 5 to 12 meetings with a potential client. It's your responsibility to keep the connection alive. Like, does a lack of follow-up affect your business? Absolutely. That was one of the questions that I got the other day from someone. Was that a rhetorical question? Like, yes. I don't know. No. What if I said no? What would that mean to you? Would you accept that as an answer? Think about that for a second. 80% of people need to have 5 to 12 meetings. Wes, when have you ever seen me in your time with me in the last like three years or so have 12 meetings with someone? Never. I have never spoken to any person that has ever bought anything from me more than three to five times because there's no need. I will check up with you through email. I'll check up with you through text message. I'll check up with you through some other form of communication, but I'm not going to have all these meetings with you. I spend more time on my discovery call. After I qualify that prospective buyer, I probably spend maybe five in average five to seven minutes and I've, I'm selling, you know, 450, 500K type of programs. You're looking at residual income. So why is it so difficult for other people to have these lengthy ass conversations? If you don't get with your prospective buyer right after that meeting, I'm talking about within 12 to 24 hours, you just shot yourself in the foot. And I guarantee you, I don't need to look at your metrics. I guarantee your next three calls are longer than 20 minutes each. Guarantee you. Talking about nothing. You're having conversations about what did it, what did you think about, you know, the training module? What did you think about going through that process? You should already know this information, no? And positioning is key here. And I, I use a lot of positioning, I wouldn't say tactics, but tools, is I try to train my assistants or my admin staff to sound like me because I want them to be positioned higher as well. So what's gonna happen in the next, you know, three to five hours? You're going to see a message come from one of my team members. I'm going to share with them my thoughts and how I reflect back on our conversation and how I can make it more impactful for you and how to increase your overall experience while you're here. But here are some things that I want you to look out for when they're sending your email. I train them how to audit my team. Does that make sense? Right. If, like, if they don't, if, here's the thing, because I want to make sure that how can I increase every day? So think about this big picture. If I train a prospective buyer to how to audit my um, admin team or my support team. How is that looking to them? I mean, what ha- for a buyer, what do you think that says to them? Oh, that that's just like the big word trust just comes comes to mind because it's like mm. okay, this person has their shit together, right? This person understands exactly what I need and understands exactly what they're doing, right? So they 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 have more faith in your capability. At that point, they're going to trust you a lot more, which is just going to make their experience so much better, you know, when they're being sold by you. So when they're having that conversation, I appreciate you saying that. And that trust value is important to me because that trust ties into my core value. 
And I don't want someone to be uncertain about any kind of decision they're going to make with me in any part of my process. I want them to have certainty, no matter with a shadow of a doubt, if I'm recommending this for them, that it means I they need to make it happen. And that's set up right from the beginning. So here's the things to look out for when you when my team sends this email. If it doesn't have XYZ, I need you to let me know. And I'll actually retrain my sales team or I'll retrain my admin team or support team that works underneath me through me having a conversation with a prospective buyer. Chris said I was supposed to have this. Chris said I was supposed to have that. They're like, oh yeah, I'm sorry. But guess what's happening in our next meeting? Right. (laughs) Right. So my trust level just went through the roof. I made them feel at ease based off of my delivery. That's it. How can you deliver it to where they want to be receiving it? What else can we really mention about follow-up to these listeners, do you think? Well, there's there's really a few things. I mean, I guess a few action, action steps you can take to really start figuring out what does that really need to look like for you. Um, you know, f- first thing is you have to, and, and I would write this down, you have to look at the value of your time. Okay, that's that's first and foremost, what is the value of your time? Because this is also going to tell you what you can't waste your time on. Um, if you don't have that already, you're already you're already failing at this point, right? You I mean you got to know the value of your time. So make that calculation. What does that mean for you? Then you have to look at the different you know processes that that your client goes through, or the, the cycle that your that your client goes through, because your follow up leads to look different, right? So if they're just a prospective buyer, they're just getting started. What is your system for that? Then when they are a potential buyer, now they're they're more of like a hot lead or someone that is that is more likely to buy. What does that follow up process look like? Now when they've purchased from you, mm. what does that follow up process you know look like? Now when they've purchased from from you for the fourth time, what does that process look like? Right. So you have to you have to really break it down. You have to take the time as a salesperson. You owe it to yourself to take the time to really break down your system, and now look at from there, how can I create a process for the client to go through in each phase that will maximize the value that they get and the experience that they have while also maximizing the value and efficiency of my time. So when you mm. break that piece down, now you start filling in the gaps. Okay, so where can I automate? What when what areas can I automate without losing value, without losing experience? Okay, here, plug in. Now, uh, next next step is okay, when I, where I can't automate, where can I put an assistant? Okay, here, plug in, right? So if, if I can't have an assistant, how can I get as many templates as possible and structure my calls in such a way that I break down certain points from those calls so that I can personalize each of these messages very quickly, right? And then look mm. at it, okay, the, I, your ideal client, when they get to a buying point, what does that ideally look like? Then create a system and an experience around it to match so that you're going to get there in, in the most efficient amount of time possible. Um, and you're you're gonna close up those gaps so that you're you're nobody's falling through the cracks, right? And that's where follow up really comes in. So follow up is key, unless somebody is completely leaving your sales pipeline, which means that you know they're no longer a lifetime customer. Your follow up needs to be key, and even with that person, you need to follow up that person and see what you could have done better, right? And what uh, if there's anybody else there that we can know that we mentioned this before? If anybody else that they know that can potentially use your help, right? So have a follow-up around everything. Everything needs a follow-up, right? So your follow-up needs a follow-up, right? So 
you have to break it down and take the time. That's the only way that you're really going to be able to do this at a high level is by understanding your metrics at a granular level. You mentioned a few things, and I want to touch on the biggest one that you made an impact with myself. And I appreciate what you just said. It meant a lot. And I'm hope that all the listeners really understand a deeper level of why he just went through that process. And these are checkpoints and touch points for a sales trainer. If you want to involve into an entrepreneur one day, if you're selling for a company, it doesn't matter. I believe that every salesperson, if they know what they're doing and they actually tap into the true potential and they really love what they do, they have a great opportunity to be an entrepreneur. And this is where you see myself and you. We took that leap because there was no other choice for us. We had no other area to really accomplish in life other than really having our own businesses. One of the greatest lessons that every salesperson needs to learn is that customers will buy when they're ready to buy. So how can you prepare them for that? When you're leaning in, you touched on something really important as well as referrals. How to lean in for referrals is really that easy. Well, based off of my conversations with you, Mr. Prospect or Mrs. Prospect, I want you to feel at ease when you get to a buying decision. And I'll let you know way before that happens. It could be a recommendation process. I try to flip the table at all time to make them understand that I'm not giving this to you or I'm not selling this to you. I'm going to recommend this for you if I feel it's the best fit. And that's where your moral obligation comes in. And you're talking about referrals, Wes, and I love that you did it this way, is that you didn't just come through and say, I need a couple of people from you, did you? No. You want to start planting that seed and let it grow into an opportunity for yourself. When I have re- calls and I mention referrals, I ask them a question. I say, Wes, based off of my experiences you know, with working with prospective students like yourself or clients like yourself, they always mention to me a couple of times, you know, hey, I have this person or I have these people that I could help. Well, think about that for a second in a conversation of what happens when you bring it up with them. How can I best equip you and prepare you for that type of conversation with them to tell them and share with them about your experience with me? I'm going to teach them how to prepare that prospect, <laughs> right? To work with me and what it's like to work with me. How important is that piece? And I know you mentioned it and I don't want to let that go. I know this calls about follow-up, but why is that such such an important metric or tactic in, to align with your stages of your process? Well, one, it's consistency. That's number one, is that mm. that consistency is gonna is what's going to help you quadruple your sales, right? Because you're consistent in that area. Right. Now, getting the client ready, I used to, and I did this all the time, especially in financial services. Um, you're getting the client ready just means that, one, they're going to take ownership over it. I know we talk about that a ton. They're going to take ownership over it. And then they're going to pretty much sell the, the prospect for you on why they need to at least hear you out, right? And that puts you now, that takes that person from being a cold lead to a much warmer lead because now you have an advocate that is also uh, a previous client, but also has a personal relationship to that person. It's like the perfect, the perfect middleman or woman for you, right? So it's extremely important that you have that in your process so that you are consistent. Now, what's very important though, and this is just my belief, is that in order for this to work properly, you need to give that client a level of experience that they couldn't have received anywhere else. That has to come from you. And mm-hmm. and this is the where, the where it all ties back in. And that's the only way that that happens is through your follow-up. 
right? So, and, and I've done this well and I've done this horribly. I've had clients who, who have been so pissed off at me. Now, I've made up those you know relationships, but they've been so pissed off at me because I didn't follow up with them when I said I was going to, right? And so this is where I started to truly understand that the money or the, the value is in the follow-up, right? So when it comes to your referrals, mm. it's important that you make that part of your system, but you deliver a level of experience for the client that will then make them your advocate and want to do all of these things for you. But you ensure just the same way as you did that they have a wonderful experience, that you have a process for them to be able to sell the other person on why they need to work with you or at least hear you out. Exactly. I always try to prepare a prospect to speak with a potential client or potential buyer, how to work with my admin team or my support team as well when they communicate with them. And say, introduce yourself with the top three things or reasons why you believe that this could be a great fit for you or have an opportunity to work with me. Teamwork closes more deals. Would you agree? I would. Every day. I mean, even myself included. I mean, I don't look at every one of the sales reps that I have on my team as employees. I look at them as they're a part of my journey. (laughs) You know, they don't work for me, they work with me. So if they're able to teach me or show me a different way of doing something, that's important. If that can increase the overall experience for every client better, of course, I'm open to it. But whose job is it to warm up leads, do you think, Wes? At the end of the day, it comes back to you. Okay. How can you increase the overall experience that goes into your teamwork? How can you communicate to your team that this is important for you? I've met great salespeople, Wes, that have fucked up follow-up. Yeah, They could be so impactful for every person they speak to. And then they hang up the phone and that's a wrap. Right. And they wonder why they're going to competitors or they wonder why they don't buy for them later. They'll spend an average, I think it's, I did the numbers, an average of four to six minutes when they get on a call with them the next time, whenever that is, bitching about why their system's messed up. What does that do for a salesperson? That's a killer. That's a, that's literally a salesperson killer. And that's why it's important Here's the one thing that I really want salespeople to understand is that take the word salesperson out of out of your you know title and put expectation manager as your new title because mm. that's what you are to the client, Beautiful. right? And so this is you know you you are there like here, it's funny because I want to I want to manage the expectation of the client on all levels, right? Not just anyone. Like even if I know that they're going to talk, and this is where you know positioning is key. And even if I know that they're going to work with one of my assistants or one of my, you know, people inside of my companies, one of my salespeople, or even it doesn't matter, one of my fulfillment people, it doesn't matter who they are. If I know that they're going to work with them, I'll actually tell them exactly how to work with that person, right? So this person has these attributes, right? This person that I have has these attributes and they respond well to X, Y, and Z. So as you're communicating with them, make sure that you're touching on these points. So I'm coaching the client on how to work with my own person, not because of my person, but because now the expectation of the client is, okay, This, if I communicate this way, I'm going to have a positive outcome. And what I'm, my goal as a CEO or my goal as a salesperson is to make sure that the outcome is achieved. That's that's where my goal is. And right. so I'm just putting in the, the expectation in the middle and coaching in the middle to ensure that the outcome happens the right way so that later on, I'm not hearing that this person is, is a piece of shit Right. And I don't like working with them, you know, and I, I didn't like what, why did you even refer me to this person? Right. So I got to manage expectations. And so the better you get at that and the better that you're going to be, and you have to do that from all sides. That's who you are as a salesperson. You're the middle guy, right? You're the middle guy. You got to, you got to get all sides of it. Your assistant, 
you know, people on your team who are going to manage fulfillment, the client, you know, the person that potentially the client may bring on board later. Like you have to, you have to manage all of that. And so what you're looking at here is how can you do that in the best way possible? And emotional intelligence is huge in this case. And being able to create the right systems is, is huge as well. I think when I made a huge shift and Wes was around for this one, when I made a huge shift into, well, in a certain role with a particular company, I was an independent contractor is that we had to send people, receive financial services for help to figuring out their budget. When I was working with a resource and we had to outsource this because it couldn't be in-house as against against regulations of policies. When I made that shift, I trained the point of contact that I was sending my prospective leads to or my, you know, my clients to, I trained him how to put them at ease when they were having those types of conversations about money. Everyone hates money until you make that shift, right? They get really uncomfortable when they're talking about their finances, especially when you're trying to figure out how to budget for a huge opportunity. It could be a game changer for you for like 50, 100K during that time. It was around 50 to 100K that people typically usually would invest with me and I would do it with ease. It's because every person that could come in contact with my prospective buyer to influence because of that cycle, I needed to make sure that all these moving parts, that it was only going to be positive. You remember that conversation that I had with that, that outsourcing team? Yeah. What do you think that did to the overall process, do you think? It made it so much, it actually made it so much more efficient because before what would have to happen is that the, you know, the, the person who sent that, you know, lead to the, to the finance company would have to manage all that fear, mm. right? Because they'd come back and be like, you know, do I really have to do this? Or, you know, why am I even doing this? Right. They're losing it somewhere in the process. So you doing it, you close the gap, which means that now all parties are working on the same wavelength to ensure that the client has that ideal outcome, right? Or that, that great experience for them to reach where you want them to go much faster and with a better value and experience overall. It was, that was a, a dramatic change. And I did it for every person that was underneath me because you know there were certain people on a team that would enroll students or enroll people into a certain program. And that's how they got to me. So how can I prepare this, my team that works underneath me and sells them up to a certain dollar amount or a certain program? How can I prepare them? How can I prepare my student? How can I prepare my admin team or support team or any other departments that you have? How can I prepare the people that come in contact with them when I'm outsourcing? How can I get them all on the same wavelength, in the same heartbeat, the same message? So here's what it looks like, guys. And if you have other departments that you send people to, if you send them to finance department or you send them to any other department, I don't give a shit what it is. If you're in the education business and you're working in admin, how can you prepare them for financial aid? If you're working with real estate, how can you prepare them to work with one of your auditors or going through and dealing with budgets. Here's how what it sounds like. Pull the person to the side and say, hey, Jack, what I would like to do, and I know you don't know me and I really don't know you. I'd like to get to know you a little bit better. I mean, what, what are some of the things that jump out to you that hold you back in prospective buyers that we send to you? What are some things that jump out to you? Pay very close attention to what they say to you. That's follow-up as well. How can I help you follow up with my prospective buyers? Because what you say or what you don't say dramatically increases or decreases my numbers. That's important. 
because it, when I make more money, I'm happier. Correct. Right. Exactly. It's a, it's, that's where you know, one thing I'll add to that piece is that now uh, in the other scenario, say you work for a big company to where you don't have that single point of contact or say you, you don't, you have a single point of contact that they're just not receptive. What you need to do at that point is you need to also manage the expectation of the client on what's going to happen. Right. So this is where trust is key. It's, it's extremely, extremely important because if that person goes to, you know, to that guy or gal and they have a terrible experience, you want to be the advocate for the client, right? So they want to know that they can come back to you and voice themselves mm. on how much that person sucked, right? So that you can tell them, yeah, I know it's okay, but the whole, hey, remember, remember why you're doing this, right? And you're pointing them back towards the outcome and not necessarily that individual experience. Because I ran into this a lot when I worked for a big corporation was that I couldn't manage, I, I didn't have that single point of contact. It was always somebody different, right? There was big, it was big divisions. And so for me, I was like, hey, this is exactly what I'm going to do for you. Remember, I'm here to handle you know, everything for you. Now, what's important in this scenario is that when you're, you're going to speak with other people, just do what you need to do with them, but don't worry about you know, what's gonna, what they tell you or what, what's going to happen. Remember, I'm handling all that for you. You just kind of follow the instructions of what they need you to do, and I'll take care of the rest. Right? Don't worry about anything else. So then when that person didn't follow up with them, when that person didn't treat them as good as they should have, they're coming back to me, right? And and it's at some points we can even joke about it, right? We get to a point where we can even joke about it, like, yeah, that guy's that guy's stupid, right? So it's like we can just laugh about it because <laughs> why? Because they understand I have their their best interest at heart. I'm the one taking care of that ideal outcome for them, not that person that's just in charge of that one task, right? So, but if you can, mm. if you can have that person create systems for them, right? That's how you get anybody to do anything. You create systems for them. That are is going to make it part of their job or part of their tasks to just do it, right? Instead of them having to think too hard about it. And that's how you can get someone to really just do what ideally you need them to do to give the client the best experience possible. We keep saying this over and over, don't we, Wes? Increasing the overall experience for every potential customer over and over and over. Right. Because that's what it's all about. It's not about us. We really want to make an impact with your follow-up or framing or you know making a sale going into you know closing a prospective buyer and turning them into a lifelong client. If you really want to make an impact, ask questions and listen to what they say. Just ask a question. I try to prep every single person. This goes back to our anchoring or framing conversation that we broke out in two episodes on the podcast. And anchoring or framing. I believe there are two best skills that you need to develop to make that shift to, to be a sales professional or a sales trusted advisor or going to the top of your game. And I made an example. I can't remember if it was during that time about going into a doctor's office. Like I hate going into a dentist. I hate dentist offices because it's not about the pain that they're going to inflict on me or yell at me because I chew candy and chew gum all the time. Right? So it's about me going in there knowing that I'm going to have to hear that fucking drill. And it's not the pain. They obviously numb you up, but it's the, yeah. ee, it gives me, it gives me a certain feeling. Like I go into you know, like that turtle effect. I'm like, ah, I don't really want to go to the dentist. I hate right. the dentist. It's not that I hate the person, but how do I prepare for that? Is I, I had a company and actually a dentist office one time send me exactly what they were going to do. And it made a shift in my sales game. Is that how can I prepare every person that I send them send them to or go to a situation? I want to prep them for everything to know that, listen, 
nothing bad is going to happen during this meeting, <laughs> right? I want them to know. I want to prepare my clients so well that they know exactly what's coming up in their process. And here's what I want you to do. And here's what I want you to think about. What they're going to mention is they're going to go into ask a lot of personal questions about your finances. And I can't help what happened, you know, five, 10 years ago for you, but I can't prepare you for what's coming up. How does that sound? That sounds great. Okay. So what are some ways that I can prepare you for this meeting? Do you think? Do you see everything I do is by asking a question? Right. It's really not that complex. People make it really difficult. Why? Well, people just get in their own way. <laughs> Go back about 10 episodes ago when we talk about limiting yeah. beliefs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? It, mindset is huge. There's nothing that you can't set out in front of me that I can't accomplish, Wes. Nothing. And I'm not saying me do it personally, but I'll find the right person for that particular situation every time. Because that's how businesses get, get built. That's how greatness happens. Is I'm not insinuating that I'm great, but I will tell you that I work on myself and I'm harder on myself than any other person probably out there known to man because I critique myself and I critique myself by asking who I'm working with. How well do you like working with me? Really tough conversation to have if you're a dick. Right. Goes back to, you know, what are, the, what are some ways that, you know, I can create an environment for everyone to feel safe, not to be judged. When you are uncertain about something, does that lead to stress? A uh, ton of uncertainty is the, is the king of stress. So if you had a lot of stress, Wes, and you have a, a go-to of not really pulling a trigger on something and kind of getting in your own way or procrastinating, what do you think that will do for our next meeting if you're unsure about what's going to happen? It probably won't be productive. No, absolutely not. Right after that discovery call, I've already identified that you could be a type of client that I want to work with. And here's the reasons why. I'm going to tell them why I think that they're great. Bam, bam, bam. Here's some things that are going, we're going to need to work on before we get to a buying decision. And yes, I talk about buying decisions on that first call. There's going to be a buying decision that's going to come up. And maybe it could be an opportunity where I might enroll you into whatever the hell it is. Depending on our conversations moving forward. What are some ways that you would like me to follow up with you? How can I prepare you for those types of buying decisions? What are some ways that I can make your experience be the best experience during this type of process for you? Because I know it can be difficult. And I hope all the listeners are listening to the tonality and how well I'm going up and down. I mean, are you paying attention to that, Wes? Yeah, of course. I mean, that's just that's part of that communication piece. That's huge. So when you're selling a product or service that it's very complex for the company to sell, how can you streamline that and make it easier for you to sell? And then expert level, how can you train every person that comes in contact with your prospective buyer during that process? How can you help them? One, one thing I'll add in there is that, look, unless, unless you're selling kryptonite to someone who wants to take out Superman, what you sell is probably a commodity, right? And so what, don't focus on that. What you focus on is the experience. I'm going to say it a hundred times more. You focus on the experience of the client through and through from step one to step infinity, right? And that's and you handle the expectations all the way through and that happens through your follow-up. And then we're going to wrap this one up and move on to the, the next couple episodes. We're going to be diving into how 
to really break down that buying time frame and what meetings should sound like when you're going to propose an opportunity for someone or propose a solution to their problem. This is where a lot of people are going to get really disappointed with us because they're going to think that we're going to come in with these huge drawn out sales pitches and powerful sales pitches. Yeah. How can our listeners prepare each prospective buyer they working with, how can they prepare them and make it easier during those proposals and those meetings and sales pitches? The the best thing to do is for them to go back to listen to everything that we just did today and break down how that all fits into their sales process and what the, and break down what their current follow-up process looks like and have that shell out in front of you and then get ready to start filling in the gaps. That's really good advice. I mean, creating your own follow-up system goes into what Wes mentioned right at the beginning of the call right beginning of the episode is systemize. How can you how can you make it a system? How can you fine tune your system? And how can you automate your system without looking like it's a canned message? And then start building your automated sales follow-up process and align that into your stages. Because there's two different processes. You have your sales process, then you have your follow-up process. And aligning your stages to match both of those so they mirror to increase the overall experience. You notice I said that first rather than making more money. Because if you increase the overall experience and make people excited and make them happy, they're going to buy. Keep the connection alive. If you really want to make more money, if you really want to increase your overall experience of every buyer or whatever it is, what can you control? And then start building or bridging the gaps. So as always, ask yourself, how can you get a little bit better each day? That 1%. Keep moving, keep growing, keep learning. Let's go with our day. Take care. taking your time and listening to today's podcast of the win-win effect as a thank you for listening and tuning in chris is rewarding you with a placement course webinar with his team to point you in the right direction to massive success in success it's all about living a better quality of life so at the very least subscribe to the win-win effect podcast so you don't miss the next episode feel free to share on your social media or simply tell a friend about it also please rate and review the podcast to find the free webinar and more information please visit tcrconsultingagency.com